I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. This is Fish Jelly. Yep. (laughs) We're on Zoom today because Nick is in Italy. Yes. But the problem with Zoom is that slight delay Mm -hmm. really does affect, uh, it it really does affect the dynamic of a conversation. Uh Uh-huh. So you want me to talk slowly? No, you can, I'm saying that I think what's coming out of my mouth, you know, when you, well, you're not on Zoom as much as I am for work, but like, there's a slight delay in what, like when the audio is received, I think. Sure. So that awkward, like, oh, I have to wait to talk and then listen. Anyway, I'm acting like it's day one of the pandemic. I've been on Zoom for two and a half years and it's still awkward. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't love Zoom. I, I don't, but. Well, you don't use Zoom for work. You use Teams. And how often are, how often are you on a Teams call? Oh, pretty rare and where I have to be on cam. Uh, but no, I use Zoom um, when I used to work for the, the LGBT center. That's right. Uh, a lot. And then uh, for uh, during the pandemic, all those uh, Oscar contender Q&As. Oh, yeah. For work, I would say on average, I spend like three and a half hours a day on Zoom. So not my favorite so this but, is a retreat for you well, well talking to you is different but um and this is our only option so it so it's fine but mm-hmm. yeah so we're on zoom so for people who listen on spotify and anchor they can watch the video i'm not putting this on youtube uh i'm sitting in our office where are you sitting i'm sitting in the kitchen area of my airbnb uh, are you there alone? See, si, see, si, yeah. Like you have the Airbnb to yourself. May we? Oui. Oh. I'll give you a tour after. Oh. It's actually, okay. it's actually very comfortable. Oh, well, that's good. However, it's important to note that in Venice, I'm staying on the mainland. I'm staying on in Venice proper, if you will. And the festival is on the Lido, an island. So I have to take a boat back and forth every day um except for today because there's a regatta every first monday of september so i was what does that mean a, a, a boat race so the the boat paths going to the lido are closed because of this boat race so my my break time that i usually have been scheduling for myself in the afternoon to write where i come back to the flat uh didn't happen but you know because last year i learned i got stranded and that wasn't pleasant but um anyway Oh, but I, I was going to say, I, I feel like unsteady constantly because I can feel the rocking of the boat in my bones. Like, I don't, like, I, I feel like I'm constantly swaying. You mean when you get off the boat and you're on land, you still feel like you're swaying? Yes. Like, like right now or when I lay down or like, I, I can feel it. It's. Well, I think that's common because like on the cruises I've been on, like a lot of people will say that they, I don't seem to get a seasickness. And um, also what you described, a lot of people describe as having that feeling for some time after they get off the boat. I generally have not felt that way, but yeah, I know that that's a common occurrence. Yeah. So it's, it's not uncomfortable, but it's just, 
you know, a well, reminder. we'll talk more about Venice at the end because um, I have questions, but we should go through the little list we have. Mm. But first, you know, the drag queen Chanel, who was yes. on season one of Drag Race, did you read about her and stealing that woman's money? I was the one that told you about that. Oh, you told me about it. Okay. Mm. Well, then good. So, you know. But so, is there a fallout, further fallout? Well, I don't recall how much of it you told me, but I was, uh, I fell into a little like YouTube hole earlier today. Mm. Uh, but for those who don't know, Chanel is a drag queen who's from Las Vegas. She was on season one of RuPaul's Drag Race. She currently- All-Stars. That's right. She's on All-Stars 1 with uh, that, like, that terrible season of All-Stars where they paired everyone together. And Chanel was paired with the winner, Chad Michaels. Um, mm -hmm. So she made it to the end. But she's currently performing at Senior Frogs in Vegas. And um, during her Sunday brunch act, the uh, a patron of the show accused Chanel of stealing $700 from her. Because Chanel does this bit where she'll like take someone's purse or wallet and rummage through it and kind of embarrass them. And this time it went left because when the lady got her purse back, she contacted management and said, I had a wad of cash in there and she took it. And there's My a- student payment was in there. So of course, so then I was watching all this on YouTube because there's a video of that performance and you see Chanel take this woman's bag and then walk around for like 20 seconds and then open the bag and take money out of it. And then I watched this one person do an analysis and zoom in and it, Chanel and management claims that Chanel only took $2. Like there were $2 bills. And $2,000 bills, yeah. <laughs> but from the looks of the video, it doesn't look like a wad of cash. Could it be $700 bills? Maybe. But it could also be two $1 bills. Like, I can't tell. So, of course, then all the fallout of the woman. And then the woman's husband is a personal injury attorney. So, of course, he sent a request. And they want, like, over $6,000 in damages. Damages. But can I just tell you the funniest part of this thing? Like, or what shocked me the most is that she, that woman wanted the cost of the tickets refunded. So she was there with nine of her, like there were nine of them total. So she was there with eight of her friends. So nine people bought tickets to this drag brunch at Senior Frogs. Do you know how much, do you know how much the nine tickets cost? How much? Over $1,200. <laughs> see that? Right. That's, uh, of everything that I was watching, when I heard that, um, and it wasn't the lady whose money got stolen. It was her friend who bought the tickets. That that friend paid $1,200. Girl, to... you need to go, to, go down to Lips in San Diego. <laughs> oh, you know what? I would actually go back there. Although that food was, from what I recall, not good. Uh, no, the, w whatever a grilled vegetable platter. <laughs> and it was like, I recall it being like very buttery and oily, maybe. But I did have fun. Here's the thing, and I've shared this story before. The very first gay bar I went to was a bar called Gypsies in Las Vegas, which no longer exists. But the first drag queen I ever saw was Chanel. 
-hmm. so this was 26 years ago and she was mean back then she would call people out and pull stunts where and I kind of never understood like the 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 concept of making the audience uncomfortable like Mm -hmm. it's one thing to be funny and make fun of people in the audience but you know some performers take it a little too far so this has always been her shtick and I don't know in the age of like you know everyone having video recording devices on their phones like and everyone wanting to have a reason to like sue someone or get, you know go viral over something i don't know why you would pull a stunt like grabbing someone's purse especially with people being so quick to claim they've been violated and you know i i just litigation. don't know. litigation right i don't know why she thought this was still smart in 2022 well she doesn't seem but i mean well that could be the problem too clearly yeah. but then chanel released an apology video which I was like 11 minutes and it was you lots, watched of, it? lots of excuses yes but um you know unfortunately you leave yourself open to this kind of shit when you pull stunts like that so voss events um who produces the show at senior frogs um refunded the twelve hundred dollars and then gave back the seven hundred dollars even though based on their internal investigation, Chanel did not steal $700. They're saying Chanel stole $2 and then threw a $20 bill at the lady. And the lady acknowledges that Chanel threw, that that she said, like, you stole my money. And then Chanel called her the C word and said, I don't need your money. And then threw a $20 bill at her. And then the lady said, but I didn't pick it up because I don't need the money. So oh, 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 I need $700, but not 20 Okay. Well, here's the thing. I feel like it's just such a stupid situation. Like, you know, I carry a bag everywhere I go. And if we were at some fucking comedy show and the performer was like, let me see that fag bag. And I want to, you think I'm passing them my bag? Under no circumstances is that bag coming off my body. So the fact that she gave this drag queen her purse is like, okay, well, what do you think she's going to do with it? And then for Chanel to reach in the bag, take something out of it, and then heckle this person. Like, did you think that was going to go well? It's just unfortunate because... To I mean, just, unless, the, unless the theme of the show was for masochists, you know... Right. I don't... No, but I think, you know, the other thing too is like, both parties are receiving like hate online. And, I, and like the lady is receiving hate like... Death like, threats. You're right. And like that she doesn't support the gay community. And it's like this lady and her friends paid $1,200 to see a drag show. Plus they were buying drinks and food and they were tipping. I just think it's so unfortunate to spend all of that money to go see a show because you presumably like drag queens and then be made to have such an awful time at the show. Because we've, I mean, I know I've been to drag shows where someone will make some, some comment, and it's just like, it ruins your moment like mm-hmm. you look mean why don't you smile oh like why would you want to make me feel bad like i'm here to have a good time like i remember in minneapolis a drag queen heckling me for the fabric i was wearing on my body it's one thing to have jokes you know i talk shit all day but 
there's a there's a way to do it where it's just jokes like i'm just i'm talking shit and i'm moving on like you 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 that that to me is funny no hard feelings you don't know me you're just making jokes we're all laughing it's great but like to take it the extra step and do this bit and take someone's bag and pull shit out of there and i think chanel's stupid i think that lady's stupid for giving her the bag i don't think that lady should have to pay to have seen that shitty ass show. And then she's suing, the extra money she wants is because she had booked a cabana at um, Aria or somewhere, I don't recall the name, but missed it because she was delayed arguing with management about her money. So she wants the cost of that too. And I kind of feel like, I don't blame her. Like you ruined my thing. I spent a bunch of money to enjoy drag. Like they weren't being, as far as I can tell, they weren't being disrespectful. Like they were enjoying the show. So, or, or she's just, she, you know, an opportunist that's uh, uh, a moment to kind of make some money. So I, I don't know. Like I, I don't trust either of them. But it's sure, it's just messy. It's just, messy. It, it just uh, I think a lesson to anybody that sees that uh, in, you know, it, it's really easy not to be messy. Yes. That's the lesson is there are many, many ways to be funny and, and you know, lower yourself vulnerable to uh, right. someone able to take advantage of you if in fact Chanel didn't do that. But I mean right. well. Uh but that's all the drag race we're getting today because I haven't watched any drag race. Um same. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so um more questions, but I thought one that might be fun that we could probably do every Sunday because I know I have a laundry list uh, would be what are some of our pet peeves? I can go first. I know you're making a face because you think it's going to be about you, but it's not this week. Um, a pet peeve I have is people walking their dogs without a leash. That shit drives me crazy. And I didn't share the story except with you is a few weeks ago, I was driving from the doctor's office and a lady was walking her two dogs without a leash and the dog ran to the street and I hit that dog. Yeah, I remember it. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, my car is low to the ground and it has the, you know, the pedestrian, the car will stop itself. So the dog running in front of my car didn't stop my car. So I did hit the dog. What stopped my car was the owner running into the street to chase her dog. So I could have hit this bitch, which I did not hit her, but she did like, my car stopped and then her hand was on my hood. And then I had hit the dog and the dog kind of flew and then scurried away. Yeah, I'm like, this could have been alleviated or this could have been prevented had you had your dogs on a leash. And she had both dogs off the leash and the other dog was running around the street after my car stopped. So that's a pet peeve of mine. Can you think of one? Uh... Uh, unnecessary noise in public spaces, including flip-flops. <laughs> oh, you don't want the sound of people's shoes? Oh my God, no. Like a, a nice like heel on a certain substance like could, is doable, but like that, that lazy shuffling sound of flip-flops, it, it, I, I, again, and also people being unaware, inconsiderate, you know, where, when we're, you know, we're all, victims to being in a certain space and not you know knowing how to shut the fuck up that's annoying to me but um yeah i have a lot of them too but well i agree with yours i the one that hits me the most is like people who uh play their music 
Like I was at the gym a few days ago and some man must have forgot his headphones. So he was playing his music on his phone, like out loud on the treadmill. Oh no, oh no. Where, where the, uh, uh, you're paying to be there. Where are the gym attend, where, where are the employees to say this is not, uh, or the people who ride around on their bike with like the boom bot, like, like the, the speaker plant, like who, no, it's so like, you think everyone wants to hear, I don't want to hear that. Like that, That's annoying, but you know, they're mobile. So they, they go, cause I don't like the fucking sound of the goddamn ice cream truck either, but it's well, like, the ice cream truck comes at 9 PM, which is which ridiculous. Is and we <laughs> live in a, nice, a nicer neighborhood. Uh, and why that's happening uh yeah no like whose children are running out at 9 p.m to greet the ice cream uh truck and then get abducted by a serial killer but uh, probably selling drugs i don't know i don't know maybe we should go buy some ice cream and see what's up and yell at him okay moving on uh films were, that were released we didn't cover something called waiting for bojangles oh yeah which i would have watched had there not been a major film festival this week uh God, I'm probably butchering his name, but Regis Roinsard, who is uh, best known for directing Indochine, starring Catherine Deneuve, which uh, is her only Oscar nomination. And it's a film I like, uh, but hasn't done a film I've found notable in a long time. But he has a film that opened this week uh, starring Virginie Efira and Romain Dury, uh, which I would have watched, but didn't. Next, Blind Ambition. Uh, a documentary that I was asked to review and I did not about four Zimbabwean men from their, uh, who formed their country's first wine tasting Olympics team, which actually- uh, Wait, wine tasting is in the Olympics? I don't know. That's the description <laughs> of the documentary. I haven't watched it. Is that a comedy? I'd imagine there are some funny bits, but uh, mm, yeah, I don't know. There's nothing in the sorry to this man section, although uh, um, you, this save your soul is getting, um, you know, higher than average views and their comments like people feel like we don't understand what the movie was trying to do. I don't. Oh, well, uh, I mean, then that's because the movie didn't do well. <laughs> well right, right. That would be the, 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 the counterpoint is if I'm not getting it, it's probably because it wasn't presented well. Hmm. I don't think the movie's shitty. I just think it didn't. No. It, it, it was a missed opportunity to do something like, like, like. No, I feel like I understood. Satire, exactly. But it's like very mild satire. I understood exactly what that film was trying to do, but it doesn't do it well enough to, to, to make it good. That's the point of, of kind of points taken off, but. No, but, but Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown did a great job with what they were given. Yes, and I will watch a movie starring either of them for them, but, uh, and, and yeah, they're, they're great in it. That, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like the, a reason, you know, that you give a lesser rating on a review is because it misses out on certain points in its presentation. And that miss, that's a film that misses out uh, on its presentation, in writing, and I think uh, in the budget, but. Okay, movies we watched for fun. You watched something called Far and Away. Something called Far and Away. The one film that I watched on my flight to Venice was 1992's Far and Away, directed by Ron Howard, uh, starring Nicole Kidman and uh, Tom Cruise as Irish people. Uh, oh. On to the U.S. and he is a boxer, 
uh, and they uh, are greeted by various tragedies and class issues. Uh, not a good film, but fun. Do, do they both speak with an Irish accent? They try. How bad They're is bad. it? It's not good, uh, but they try. And uh, it's funny because I think on my flight to Cannes, I watched Days of Thunder with those two, which I'd never seen before either, which I also didn't really love, but uh, it, was a, it, it was a plain film, I don't know. Okay, I finished uh, the television series Martin. I watched all five seasons because- Damn. We subscribed to BET Plus and I ended our subscription, which expires on like in three days. So I felt pressure to watch. The main reason I kept it was because of Martin. Sure. Um, well, I mean, their film selection is... <laughs> well, I have watched several many films on BET Plus and none of them have been good, but several of them have been quite fun. So, you know, that's all you can ask for from life. So, well, yeah. So I, I just didn't want another $10 a month thing to pay for. But I do have to say for Martin, I was getting, emo so I finished the last episode like three hours ago and I was pretty emotional because it made me think a few things. First of all, like the way, you know, how we look at certain things from our youth and where we hold them in our mind. And then when you revisit it and it's it doesn't hold up. Yeah. It's sad. And then I also think that was a very sad time in my life. So maybe the comedy, you know, I found a lot of joy in the humor, but it probably was offset or or enhanced by how um, terrible my life was at that time. But watching it as an adult, um, yeah, I my biggest takeaway is the first two seasons are quite funny. Uh, I think it suffered from network executives forcing the writers because Martin didn't write this show. There were writers for the show. And based on other things I watched outside of the show, it seems like his input was not as potent as one would think. I say so, like maybe. So I, I think the show suffered for the final three seasons for more than half of the series from executives insisting that they basically punch everything up with sort of the catchphrases that, so of course, Martin being ridiculous and being mean to Pam and Gina and Martin always fighting. And I think thinking about having watched it as a teenager over the course of four plus years, it wasn't as obvious to me. And then also because I was young and more stupid than I am today, but as a 43 year old, it's just how toxic their relationship was because I remember hearing people talk about like Pam, you know, Martin and Gina and that love affair. And it's like, I don't see it. And then the final season, because of the sexual um, harassment and abuse allegations Tisha Campbell made against Martin Lawrence, season five is really weird because for a third of the season, Gina's Tisha gone. Campbell. Say that Tisha again. She's the one that made the allegations? Yeah. So part of the situation while it was under investigation is they couldn't work together. So for, I believe like eight or nine episodes, she's not in the show. And then they say that she's in LA setting up an office. We get a couple of episodes where she's on the phone and then she does return for the final episode, but 
they're never in the same room. Like they keep crossing paths. Mm-hmm. But it was very sad to watch, like, because they never really felt like they were that great of a couple combined with how toxic they were to each other. And then how mean Martin was to Pam mm-hmm. is just really uncomfortable. And then yeah. looking back at like Tommy and Cole, they're just the same in every episode. They mm-hmm. say the same lines. They say the, they do the exact same thing. So the creativity is even the set design, like I, I never like rewatching it. I just couldn't quite understand why their living situation, like Gina moved in with Martin, but Gina had the nicer apartment. And then Pam takes over Gina's apartment, but Pam is Gina's assistant. So she makes less than her. So that means that this apartment has to be affordable. So why wouldn't they, like, I just, and and then, yeah. And then of I course, think- Martin leaves the his radio show. So then for a season, he's not working. And then he gets his own talk show. And then that's like, also the comedy is quite homophobic and transphobic. Not as bad as it could have been, especially for someone who used to host Deaf Comedy Jam, because some of the shit on there was really bad. Right, and you, you do have Martin playing female characters. Right, right. So, you know, I think there are some highlights. Um, there are some really funny moments. Another yeah. thing is that I didn't remember that there was a reunion episode or like a greatest hits reunion episode flashback episode like at the end of season four and then we just watched the recent reunion and they were very much the same like I just feel like this is a show that was very popular on Fox and for a lot of people my age and older probably holds a lot of value but looking back I don't think it's brilliant writing I don't think Martin Tisha Campbell and Tashina Arnold are far superior comedic actors. Martin Lawrence is a stand-up comedian, but I think he's actually kind of like not a good actor, especially next to um, Tashina uh, Tashina Arnold. Mm-hmm. I agree. I would agree with that. But you know, they they took something that something that was successful that I, I think they were felt like they probably had to do what they needed to do to keep it going, because uh, you know a lot of other things. You know, look at what happened to Living Single. I keep saying Tashina Arnold. I meant Tisha Campbell. I think Tisha Campbell. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned Living Single. Mm-hmm. Because I think the writing for that show is far superior. The acting is way better. Yeah, but also look what happened to it. You know, like they... It was ripped off. Called, well, ripped off, but all the white writers that came on board and, the, you know, that kind of caused also the dissolution of that show. Um, I did want to say, though, you know, the the contention between Martin and Pam became grating after a while. And I don't think it was ever done in a really sophisticated way. But yeah. on Living Single, um, that character's name was also Pam, right? Erica Alexander? Erica Alexander, was that Pam? No. What was her name? No, what was her name? Her name was not Pam. It's Khadijah and... Uh... God. Uh, oh, Maxine. Maxine. The, the um, contention between Maxine and Kyle, mm-hmm. that was good writing because we, as the audience, we still, like, we could feel their hatred. And then when they decided to, like, hook up, it also made sense. Mm-hmm. But then for Martin and Pam, it's just like, you two hate each other so much. I don't even know how you even tolerate being in the same room and how your best friend, Gina, 
even lets your like her boyfriend talk to her best friend that way yeah. but anyway yeah i exactly. think we talked about martin for too long i did want to mention so i watched netflix has a series called untold mm-hmm. and i watched one episode called um the girlfriend who didn't exist and i think you would have been really frustrated by a chapter that. in my book <laughs> because this follows in the footsteps of some other Netflix documentaries we've watched, like Our Father, about that fertility. Oh, so, it's bull- so it's like the bullshit and a waste of time? Yes, because this one is about a guy named Manti Tao. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. He's a Polynesian man who no. played um, for the NFL. He played for the San Diego Chargers. He, was, uh, he went to college on a full scholarship for football to Notre Dame and then was drafted by the San Diego Chargers. But people people knew him as being like a super popular college football player. And then right around the time when he was to be drafted, like a first line draft pick, which means that he's very good, he announces that his grandmother and girlfriend have died, like in the same time period. So he's going through a big tragedy. It got a lot of attention. And this was back in like 2012, I believe. So he got a lot of attention. God, I maybe remember that. Anyway, yeah. I didn't, but but based on this, it seemed like it was a super big deal. But the reason this is like a sort of a scandalous story is because all of the major networks ran with it. ESPN, like all the big networks were posting about his girlfriend dying and how brave he is and how he's still playing football. But then there was this website, like, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's one of those websites that kind of like tries to uncover scandals. And basically their mission is to sort of prove that, you know, the larger media doesn't do like their due diligence in like fact- web sleuths. Yes, essentially. So they get a tip one day that this man, Tai Tao guy, that girlfriend of his is not a real person. So they're like, interesting. So they pass it off to this one guy and he starts doing some light digging. He's like, yeah, this doesn't make any damn sense. Like this woman, her her full name, she only exists in relation to this story. Like, like, where did she go to high school? Who knows her? We find out that it's basically like an episode of Catfish where this guy basically was in love with this football player and developed a relationship with him created and this was back when you know catfish was not a thing so it wasn't the documentary was like 2009 or 10 they everyone in this thing was saying that this was not a thing like sure like that that wasn't a word people use like they use today it was Mm pre-tiktok so this guy created a facebook account made up took stole all these pictures like did all the things we know from catfish starts talking to this football player and they maintain a relationship over the course of a year and all of the red flags are there that we know of from catfish like oh my webcam's not working or oh my cell phone died or but the football player kept saying like well but back then we didn't know and blah 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 okay So there are two episodes, each one's an hour. So the first one, it builds up to like, oh yeah, this guy got catfished. But then we find out that 
maybe he did know who this person was because the guy catfishing him had been around him. Mm. So the reason that this is such weak documentary work is because they're trying to do two things. They're trying to sort of call out these larger news outlets saying that they ran these, they run these stories without fact-checking anything. But then they're also presenting the fact that maybe this guy knew what he was doing and he was only doing it to get sympathy because he wanted to win the Heisman, which is an award yeah. for football. I mm-hmm. thought it was for NFL players, but it's not. It's for college players, I believe. And apparently that award is given, like the people who vote for it, there's like an emotional component to it. Like it's not necessarily your stats, it's like who they like. So then this documentary is sort of posing that maybe this guy created this lie to get some sympathy, but they never really dig in. And then it ends with like nothing. Like he's just out here living his life. He stopped playing football like two years ago. But we do get to meet the guy who catfished him. And that guy is now trans. So he's a woman now. Mm -hmm. So we see this person as a female talking about it. And all of it sounds like bullshit to me. Someone actually commented asking us to watch this. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming it's because they think it's bullshit too. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you would have been so frustrated. because it just feels like flop. Like this football player is no longer a pro player, probably trying to get some shine again. So he agreed to do this documentary, but it's not going to give them too much information because of course, then there are rumors that maybe he's gay and that he was doing this to sort of like hide the fact that he's gay, but they never really dig into that. Um, Another movie I watched that I wanted to bring up, I watched something called 12 Feet Deep. It's a 2017 um, like horror film. It's one of those survival films. Mm-hmm. It says it's based on a true story. It's directed and written by someone named Matt Eskandari. Um, this movie was horrible. And the reason I brought it up is because I was reading about it and I see that like Joe Blow gave it a very positive review, some other outlet. And I'm like, this shit was a... T- oh, wait, wait, wait. What, is it a Canadian filmmaker? Because Joe Blow is out of Canada. Oh, let's see. Well, it says that he went to film between the lines here. Well, it says he's Iranian born. He went to film school at USC. Um, Yeah. And that his debut film premiered at Cannes. What what year? And Uh, it it was... (laughs) In the market, like that doesn't count, but I'd have okay, to. Okay, victim, uh, his uh, 2010. Anyway, okay. Th- when I tell, I this would make a great like episode of its own, but it's about these two sisters who are who are at like the public pool, mm-hmm. and they get locked in the pool, like they're in the pool, and that fiberglass cover covers the pool, mm-hmm. so they're stuck underneath the pool. Okay, it's called the guy who runs the community center is Tobin Bell from like the Saw movies, and he is playing it like he's such an asshole. Okay, so they're in this pool. Okay, it's called Twelve Feet Deep. I don't recall there seeing that it's Twelve Feet Deep 
I'm, I'm sure one side of the pool is 12 feet deep, but the other side is like four feet deep. So these two sisters can stand up in the pool and there's plenty of oxygen because there's like, oh, it's, it, the water doesn't rise to the top. So they're standing up with their head above water and there are holes in the fiberglass. So they can breathe, they can stand up, but we're told right away. Like the very first thing Tobin Bell does is put a sign on the door that says, we're gonna be closed like a three day weekend for the holiday. So obviously the idea is that these three are gonna be stuck in the pool for three days. So then you think, okay, well you can survive in the water for three days if you can stand up, right? But we find out one of the girls is diabetic, which didn't make sense to me because she says she has, she has to check her blood sugar levels and she takes insulin, but then her sister doesn't know she's diabetic, which seems odd that if she's type one diabetic, she wouldn't have known much sooner, but whatever. Mm -hmm. The thing that keeps this story going is that one of the pool employees is like an ex-con who's working there like on some work release program. And she won't let them out of the pool unless they give her their like ATM pin number because they left their purses like outside. So it's so it's basically like that's the villain. It, this movie is so stupid and just every single thing about it, there's no tension because it's like, well, they're not gonna drown in this pool and the longest they're gonna sit in this water is three days. And then the bad guy does turn off the heater so the water gets cold but the water gets cold instantly. Like there must be 10,000 gallons of heated water and you turn off the heater and it instantly gets cold. But anyway, I wanted to bring it up because it's on Hulu, I believe. That's where I watched it. And it's horrible. So if anyone's interested in like a really shitty horror thriller, uh, 12 Feet Deep is it. Also, I just looked it up. It's a 2017 film. Uh, yeah. That, oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, starring Mary Jane Noon of The Descent and the Magdalene Sisters. Uh, this was not a can in a, as part of the official program. I would be I would be willing to watch it again just so someone else can experience because I, I feel like I'm crazy because there are good reviews for it and it, the acting, the dialogue, the scenario, it, the fact that it's based on a true story and that there's this like ex-con holding them under the water for their pin number is so crazy to me. You know, the one thing I've learned, one of the things I've learned, you can't trust film critics. You cannot. Like they, they just, they, they, they lie through their teeth. They do. We have spent a lot of time on bullshit. Okay, project, or I have, projects of interest, something called dream scenario. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, your buddy Nick Cage is gonna star in an A24 film directed by Christopher Borgel. Uh, that the details of the plot are being kept secret. <laughs> oh, but there you go. Nevertheless, I'll want to watch it. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately, there is an entry in the obituary section. Someone yeah. named Char Charlby Dean. Charlby Dean, a South African actress. Uh, she was in the Palm d'Or winner this year, uh, Triangle of Sadness from Ruben Ostlund. Uh, she was 32 and she died of an unexpected illness. I don't think it's been released what that illness was exactly, but she's very young, uh, very beautiful, uh, died suddenly. Oh, well, that's always too bad. Yeah. 
Okay, moving on. So for Venice, you have watched several many movies in the first, what, six days? Uh, yeah, I've written 25 reviews. Uh, I don't, I've seen many more films than that. Uh, the, as far as the competition, I watched 13 competition films. There are 10 more to go. Um, so yeah. So you do have a little list of the some of your faves so far and some of the ones you didn't love. But um, just to be clear, so you fly into Venice, mm -hmm. left LAX and flew into... I flew to Frankfurt, Germany. And, and then, then you were there for how long? Like five hours. And then... Uh, how was that? Fine. I mean, I got some writing done. Uh-huh. And then you get to Venice. Mm -hmm. What, you take like a cab to your Airbnb? No, uh, water boat. Oh, the airport. You have to take a water boat from the airport? Yeah, there, you, there's a section of... You You can take a car part way into the city, but that's not helpful to where I need to be. So, uh, and I think a lot of people, uh, you, there, there's, you go down to basically a dock that's like a 10-minute walk after getting off the plane uh, to a water boat. And then you're in this one bedroom apartment? Yeah, which has like a very spacious living room. Hmm. That's and right out of a very popular tourist area. But, and, then, and then every morning I have to get up and go to a certain, uh, like, a, like a, a water bus stop and get on a particular water boat to go to the Lido. Are there any COVID precautions? On public transportation, you're supposed to wear a mask. Although I noticed at night, a lot of these assholes won't, but that's it. Mm -hmm. So in the screening rooms, you're not wearing a mask? Uh, some of them I am. Well, what would determine some over others? I feel uncomfortable for any reason whatsoever. And then are people talking about monkeypox? Not at all. But also, I'm, I haven't really talked to anybody. I, I'll, I have run into people that I know very briefly and have had conversations, but not. I haven't like sat and had a drink with anybody or like really picked anybody's brain or their opinions of what they've liked so far or anything. Like I really have been just kind of stuck on my own. But um, the different, you know, last year was my first year here. Uh, there, there, there are many more people here. The attendance is much greater. Uh, so while the festival area is very contained to this one kind of little bitty area and you'd think you'd run into people, you based on where food is available and things like that, it's like just so strenuous to get some basic needs met. It, it really is hard to kind of mingle. So it, it's, you really don't have a lot of time if you're watching everything that I am. Uh, to socialize. So I, I don't know. Nobody has mentioned it to me. So. <laughs> mm. And then what have you been eating? Uh, fruit and at least one meal a day. Splendid. Okay. So either like pizza or some kind of pasta thing. Um, but I like to actually, because. <laughs> The, they're very expensive restaurants on the Lido, but 
uh, like, a, a, you know, you tire very quickly of kind of the faster things you can get. And they're not really that fast because there's just a throng of people everywhere you go. Um, so I like to, for my breaks in the afternoon, come back to eat. It's very, it's much more easier to eat on the mainland, but then you can get stuck in these very like tourist kind of places where the food is like, you learn very quickly kind of how to detect what is like a tourist trap and what might be, you know, maybe a more authentic family-owned restaurant. Mm. All right. So do you want to talk quickly about your, the top picks uh, so far? Oh, the, probably, probably we should start with, um, you got to see Sigourney's new movie. Oh yes, I did. Uh, yeah, and that was amazing. And I know there there have been significant detractors of that film, but I it it's pretty fucking good. Uh, and like, is, this, is, is there a comedic component to it? Yeah, there's some dark comedy. Uh, it's about a white supremacist, basically. But oh. uh, Sigourney is in top form. I could have used a little more of her in the film, of course, but uh, she's a lot of fun. Uh, she's this. Uh, kind of this elitist bitch that gets a really nice Joan Crawford moment uh, towards the end of the film. Uh, but Joel Edgerton is also quite good in it. Uh, it's, of course, the third film in a thematic trilogy by Schrader, his Man in the Room trilogy that follows First Reformed and The Card Counter. I know I made you watch First Reformed because that was my favorite film that year that came out. Um, no, I, I, I really loved it. It's, it's goofy and weird and, you know, isn't trying to make you like it uh and has a lot of very interesting maybe obvious but very interesting metaphors um about uh racism and the current state of america and all contained in this one gritty little weird paul schrader film but yeah that, that that's on my top five thus far hmm. next is something called tar oh you're going in the opposite direction tar might end up being my favorite film of the year um and I think it comes out in November, and I I cannot fucking wait until you see this film. What it, it took my breath away. Um, <sighs> Kate Blanchett, mwah, mwah, mwah. Uh, it is about a, uh, a, con a conductor, the first like female conductor of this major German symphony, the Berlin Philharmonic. Uh, and if you read like basic plot descriptions, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have no idea what this film is like. It's about this this just complete narcissistic sociopath, but delivered in a way that's uh, aspirational almost. Like, and she's this lesbian married to Nina Haas. Uh, she's a child with and kind of gets involved in some scandals. And uh, it goes in so many, the last time I felt this way about a performance was when I saw Isabelle Huppert for the first time in The Piano Teacher. Like that is how, much i i loved uh kate blanchard in this film it's really just intriguing and troubling and upsetting because I, I i won't go into more than that until i i you need to see this film and we'll expound upon i think some of the emotional things i had watching the film but um yeah i that yeah i loved it i was absolutely in love with it all right something called all the beauty and the bloodshed 
Uh, Laura Poitras, uh, her new documentary, I was also not expecting to be so moved by. Uh, I knew it was about the, op the opioid crisis, but uh, it's really a combination of being about that through the prism of an artist named Nan Golding, um, who I've heard of before, but I wasn't really familiar with her photography, uh, but it's kind of about Nan Golding's life uh, prior to that, which is just fascinating, uh, all the experiences and people that she's had, but it's a very like personal and intimate and poignant uh, documentary about kind of life in general that that I would have been fascinated by without um, kind of her uh, activism in trying to take down the Sackler family uh, because she had experienced uh, an addiction to uh, Oxycontin after surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that's that was really a, a pleasurable experience. Next, Bones and All. Uh, I know I've talked about this before because you, we, I read the book recently. What is the story about? Cannibals. Hmm. I uh, I, I, the book I felt a little bit YA, but I, I think that I really liked what Luca Guadagnino did with the film adaptation uh, starring Timothée Chalamet and Taylor Russell uh, as a pair of, they're called Eaters. Uh, who have to periodically eat people. Uh, and it's kind of a romance film, a dark tragedy. It, it exists, I think, somewhere in a spectrum between like trash, like Twilight, and um, something sublime like Terrence Malick's Badlands, uh, but, but much closer to Terrence Malick that I think than Twilight, but uh, that, that was an enjoyable experience. There were a lot of headlines about an eight minute standing ovation. People clap for anything and they've clapped at all the movies, means nothing. But uh, that was, <laughs> I did quite enjoy that film. Mark Rylance is super fucking creepy and weird uh, as this older eater. Uh, and he reminds me of, is it Herbert, Herb the Perv from Family Guy? Oh. He's giving me that vibe in this movie, but uh very, very enjoyable. I think that you will like that as well. Lastly, something called Monica. Something called Monica, uh, the newest film by Andrea Pallaro, uh, whose last film was in my top 10 of 2017 called Hannah, starring Charlotte Rampling. And this film is the second and also a thematic trilogy centering on women. Uh, Trace Lissette is the star. Uh, as a woman named a trans woman named Monica who goes back to meet her mother on her deathbed uh, and her mother doesn't know who she is and kind of teasing that out and it's very subtle and um, it's a very visual interior film there were a lot of walkouts the kind of the later night screening that I was at for that but uh, I think it's doing mm -hmm. a lot of really really excellent things and I thought Trace Lissette gave um God, am I saying, is it Trace or Tracy? Actually, I'd never heard her name spoken out loud, but uh, all I know about her is she called a pair of old queens uh, on our Hustlers review, but. Oh, that lady? Yes. Oh. Mm -hmm. But she did a great. She well, shout out to her. <laughs> mm, no, a great job. Patricia Clarkson is the dying mother. A uh, lot of things I liked about that film. Well, maybe uh, after your kind words for her performance, she won't be mad at you anymore. I doubt she's paying attention and I can care less. But. Okay. okay, moving on to films you didn't like, something called Bardo. Bardo. Or Bardo. 
or a farce or, or a farce, a false chronicle of truths or whatever the title of that, uh, by Alejandro Gonzalez and Iratu. You know, I liked The Revenant and I liked Birdman well enough. And yeah, this was just self-indulgent bullshit. And I, I can understand that there's an argument that it's kind of this grand spectacle, grand spectacle, but it's just so empty and the main character, and I even like the character, the actor playing the main character outside of this film. Uh, it's it just like, why do I care about this privileged asshole and all of these clunky, awkward things that Inaratu is trying to say about uh, nationality and privilege? I, it was a three hour slog to sit through, and I, I did not like it. It is definitely the worst thing I've seen thus far. Uh, ugh. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, next, Athena. Athena, I was also, I, I, I gave it a two and a half out of because it's got some really great uh, action sequences and some impressive uh, choreographed battle scenes, basically like urban guerrilla warfare against the police in France uh, based on uh, a potential incident, uh, a potential murder that happened because of police brutality. And of course, there's a twist on top of that. Um, but then all of the characters end up being really kind of one-dimensional, a cookie cutter. Uh, but I do like all of the kind of, like Athena is the goddess of war and the, 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 all of the allusions to Greek mythology. And uh, th there are a lot of things going on that I liked, but it just, with the character work and kind of like some third act bungling, uh, I, I think really detracts from it. But it's the third film directed by Roman Gavras, who is the uh, son of Costas, Costas Gavras, of course, the very notable Greek filmer, filmmaker who directed Z and Missing. Uh, and there are some similarities, I think, plot-wise to something like Z. But um, yeah, I was very cool on that. Mm. Lastly, uh, Immensity. Lime yeah, Immensity or Limensite, uh, Italian French production starring Penelope Cruz, who I think looks fantastic in it. Uh, it's set in 1970s Rome. Uh, and it's about a mother and her child who have a very strong bond, and her, her eldest child uh, is trans, but wouldn't know how to say that in the 70s. And I'll, I think the first half hour, I think, is really compelling and really interesting uh, at this portrait. And then it just like falls apart in all kinds of cliches. Um, it, it feels like a nice gesture film that really deserved a much stronger script, I think, than it has. Uh, yeah, but I, I didn't like it. I don't know. Mm. So you have another week to go. Less. Tomorrow's Monday. I have, I have five more days. Oh. Tomorrow's Labor Day. Mm -hmm. So I, I... I actually didn't recall that until I just said it. So I guess I don't work tomorrow. No, I oh. don't. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. How many more films do you have to watch? I don't even know. Uh, it gets a, it, you know, the people start to leave, thankfully, uh, during the second half of the film festival. So it, logistically, things will be easier. But I, I don't think there's, mm -hmm. Maybe one or two days I have four films and then the rest are three. And those are my, the, a three day, which is really rare, let me say, because at Cannes or Berlin, there are no days where I only watch three films. But uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that and kind of relaxing a little bit. But 
that, that hasn't happened thus far. All right. Do you have anything else for us? No. Well, I don't know. That, that You're you reading anything? I'm still reading Liar Mouth because I've had no time to read, like none. Uh, you aren't following Venice at all, apparently, then. Um, Do I follow any film festival? Well, I, don't, I don't know, like any headlines, like the Brendan Fraser movie where he's playing a 600-pound man, you know. Just, oh, did you watch that? Yes. <laughs> Anything oh. there are headlines about has already premiered, I've seen it, uh, which I liked kind of. It has some staginess that I don't like, but Brendan Fraser is really quite good. Uh, it, and it, it has its moments that earn like being a tearjerker authentically, but then it has some very kind of rough patches to me, but uh, that definitely will win things, I'm sure. That'll be interesting. I mean, I would watch it. Yeah, I'm sure you'll see it, yeah. Uh, and of course, there there's already a things, for the week after I return, we already have several things scheduled to see, as you know. Actually, you don't know, I haven't told you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything. But you know, we have Pearl coming up, which the I had a ticket to the premiere of, last, the midnight premiere of last night, and it started too late for me to stay because the last boats back to the mainland leave at two. Uh, but that, a screening for that will be next week. So wait, so what happens to the people? Oh, because people, some people are staying on the island. A lot of people are, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh. oh. Mm -hmm. All right. Which is what drives the prices up, up, up. But uh, then there are even more that are over here. But anyway. Well, I think that's all I have, unless you have something else. Well, next week, you'll be back here. Uh-huh. And then uh, I don't know who's choosing the film. I had a really good film I wanted to watch and I just forgot what it was. So maybe it'll come to me. <laughs> I think it's you because we did uh, Mishima was the last film. Oh, shoot. I hope I remember. I, I recall thinking I had a selection that would be very good, but I need to write things down. You do need to write things down. I feel like I have a memory of things that you say you want to watch that I could, like, I won't say them because it would ruin it. <laughs> okay mm -hmm. all right well a talk for now bye bye